It is uh, good to be joining you again. Um, thankful to hear uh, the wonderful news of your voting to call Brother Matt Morgan to be your full-time elder. Wonderful. It's wonderful news to hear that. We rejoice with you. Uh, so you can make your way in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 14, which is um, known as the parable of the wedding feast. The parable of the wedding feast. So I'm going to read our, uh, our text this evening, verses 1 through 14, and then we will pray. So Matthew chapter 22, starting in verse 1. And again, Jesus spoke to them, in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fat calves have been slaughtered, everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready. But those who were invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both good or both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot, and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Let's pray and ask for the Lord's help this evening. Lord God, we come to you this evening and we, we ask for your uh, grace to meet us, your spirit to meet us now as we um, hear your word, as your word is expounded. Lord, please give grace and power. Lord, thank you that uh, you put your treasure in earthen vessels. Uh, Lord, so I come to you as an earthen vessel, Lord, with no wisdom or grace or power of my own, but I pray that by your Holy Spirit, your, the intent of your word would go forth in, in power to convict, to encourage, to instruct. And we ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. So we... Um, I know it's been a while since we saw uh, the parable of the um, wicked tenants. 
Uh, but this parable, these parables go back to back, right? So we'll try to remember a little bit of what happened with, um, or what the context is of both of these parables because they go together. So if you remember, Jesus has entered his final week before his arrest and before his crucifixion. Only days before he had entered Jerusalem to the hosannas of the crowd, but now he's facing bitter opposition from the unbelieving Jewish leaders. The chief priests, the elders, and the Pharisees are those listed before and after these parables that Jesus is talking to. So through the parable of the wicked tenants that we saw last time, Jesus has delivered an astonishing and crushing verdict that God is taking away the kingdom from unbelieving Israel, that they will experience the judgment of God. And these, this, of course, infuriates the Jewish leaders, but Jesus is not done with them, right? He could have just ended the conversation right there, but he's like, wait a minute, I've got one more, one more story I want to tell you, one more parable of indictment against you. So the parable of the wicked tenants has said that unbelie the unbelieving Jews have lost the privileges of being God's emissaries on earth, God's representatives on earth. God is firing them. He's saying, give me, give me your badge, give me your keys, and get out. You're fired. You, you have persistently resisted my messengers. You have failed to give me the fruit that I'm looking for. Now get out. And now, now this parable of the wedding banquet now compounds that bad news by informing the unbelieving Jewish leaders that they have spurned God's invitation into the kingdom. They've spurned his invitation to eternal life, and they will not be entering. So we're going to walk through this, this parable and bring some points out of it. So let's start with the first section. You can kind of break this parable down into three sections with a summary statement in verse 14. So we're going to look at the first section, which is verse 1 through 7. So Jesus, again, spoke to them in parables, the them being the Jewish leaders. And he said, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I've prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fattened calves have been slaughtered. Everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. So in the first part of this parable, Jesus sets the scene for us. A king is inviting his subjects to come and share in the joyous occasion of his son's wedding. Right? This would have been the occasion of the century. A royal wedding was taking place. No one would miss this, right? No one in their right mind would miss this joyous occasion. 
They would, they would have food to eat that they have never tasted before. They would, it's an opportunity to participate in such a joyous event that they may never experience again. But then, of course, we get the surprising twist of the parable. Those invited don't want to come. Can you imagine that? Right? You get an invitation to the, who knows when the next royal wedding is going to be away over in, in England. But you get an invitation to the royal wedding. Oh, yeah. Now, no, not coming. So what does the king do? The king graciously sends out his servants again. And this time, he wants them to read out loud the mouth-watering menu and invite them again to come and share his joy. Right? We're going to have fattened oxen. We're going to have fattened calves, right? Meat, barbecue, good stuff. Come, come. Desserts. They didn't even get to the desserts. We're going to have all this wonderful stuff. Come. He's trying to draw them and woo them to come. But again, those invited ignore the invitation. Or they make lame excuses. Right? Well, I've got business to take care of. Things, chores around the house need to get done. Or they go further and they mistreat the king's servants. And this, this behavior, which is so out of sync, so out of step with the gracious and glorious invitation of the king, causes the king to become angry and send his army to destroy those who are at first invited. So like the parable of the wicked tenants, the first part of this parable is aimed at the unbelieving Jews, especially the Jewish leaders. As we saw in the parable of the tenants, the kingdom of God is inseparably linked to Jesus Christ, the Son of God. To reject Christ is to reject God. To refuse Him is to refuse the kingdom of God. To spurn the invitation of His gospel is to spurn God's invitation into eternal life and into His kingdom. So the unbelieving Jews are doing the unthinkable. They are rejecting the invitation of God into the true and eternal kingdom of which Israel is only meant to be a type. Think of that. Again, just like the book of Hebrews says, they're preferring the types. They're preferring the shadows. We, want, we like the shadow. But here comes the reality. Here's the true invitation into the true and eternal kingdom. And they say, no, 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 we don't want that. We like what we have. We like our shadows. We like our types. And so they reject the real thing. Jesus then in verse 7 pronounces a prophetic judgment that God will destroy their city, that is, Jerusalem. And Jesus will again bring this up in Matthew chapter 24. He will expound this more when he tells his disciples, not one stone will be left on another. And of course, we know that this prophecy was fulfilled in A.D. 70 when Jerusalem was destroyed. So now I want us to, at this point, I want us to focus on a, a key theme that shows up here. Man's rejection of God and his invitation. 
The surprising element, as I've said, of this parable is that the king's invitation is flatly rejected and ignored. This event, of course, as we said, would have been something no one would want to miss, but yet the people inconceivably refuse to come. They ignore the repeated summons and entreaties by the king and his servants. They care more for their own business and their concerns than they do for the king and his sons. But others become more openly hostile towards the king and his servants. They abuse those who are sent to them to invite them to the feast. Such a reaction to the king on such an important and joyous occasion by his subjects is nothing but the highest contempt and insult to the honor of the king. Right, can you imagine this? Right, this? You know, it's okay, you know, you call up your buddy and say, hey, hey, you, you know, you want to go out, play a round of golf, and they're like, hey, I don't have time, right? Not a big deal, right? Hey, man, I'm getting married. Come, come and join me in this wonderful good news. That's a little bit more of a personal rejection, isn't it? All right, what, so what is going on here? As these subjects, it's not that they just didn't have time or were busy or had other legitimate pressing events. They hated the king. They despised him. We're not going. And we're going to make up silly excuses as to why we're not going. But this illustrates sinful man's attitude towards God and his kingdom. The essence of man's sin. I think this is very important. The essence of man's sin. The reason why we break his commands and ignore his gracious entreaties of the gospel is a contempt for God himself. The scriptures make this connection clear in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 10. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 10. You're probably familiar with what's going on here. David has committed adultery with Bathsheba. She's, uh, he has murdered um, Bathsheba's husband covertly. And now the prophet is going to confront David with this sin. And look at what he says in chapter 12, verse 10. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house, because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Right? God is talking through the prophet. He says, you have despised me. In David's sin, he was despising God. This act of sin. In this act, David despised God. Now, I don't think that day when David woke up, I don't think he consciously thought, I despise God, and to show my disdain for him, I am going to take another man's wife and then have that man murdered. I don't think that was consciously in David's mind. But at the root of David's sinful actions... There is a despising and dishonoring of God. In fact, at the root of every sinful action, from our first parents, Adam and Eve, eating that forbidden fruit, to our own sins that we've committed on this very day, 
At the root of it, there is a despising and a dishonoring of God. I think John Piper summarized it very well in a a quotation. He says, What is sin? It is the glory of God not honored, the holiness of God not reverenced, the greatness of God not admired, the power of God not praised, The truth of God not sought, the wisdom of God not esteemed, the beauty of God not treasured, the goodness of God not savored, the faithfulness of God not trusted, the commandments of God not obeyed, the justice of God not respected, the wrath of God not feared, the grace of God not cherished, the presence of God not prized, the person of God not loved. That is sin. Most of the time we think of sin as a list of things we should be doing but aren't doing, or a list of bad things we shouldn't be doing but we are doing. But this misses the root of sin. At the root and essence of all our sinful actions is an attitude of animosity and dishonor towards God, our Creator. This is both the evil of sin and the heinousness of sin. Bear with me for a minute. We're going to dive into this a second. This despising of God is the evil of sin and the seriousness of sin. Now, some might be shocked in this parable by the violent reaction of the king to his subjects. Right? And they might say, so this, get, let me get this straight. This parable is telling me that if I don't come to God's party, he's going to kill me. What kind of God is that? I could never worship an egotistical maniac like that. But this reaction proves our spiritual blindness and just how warped our hearts have become by sin. God is the first and greatest of beings. He is the I am who brought all things into existence. He is the most glorious, most great, most powerful, most true, most wise, most beautiful, most, where am I, faithful, most just and gracious being that ever is and ever was or ever will be. He is most worthy to be honored. He is most worthy to be reverenced and admired and praised and sought after and esteemed and treasured and savored and trusted and obeyed and respected and feared and cherished and prized and loved. He is most worthy of all of these things. In fact, It is the very purpose of the entire universe and everything in it, including you and I, to bring him this glory, to do just that, to show forth his worth and his honor and reverence and praise and how valuable he is. And to deny such a perfect being his rightful honor and to treat him with contempt is the highest treason in the universe. 
And those who do such a thing, who deny God this glory, who treat him as a worthless thing, are infinitely worthy of eternal damnation. That's how serious our sin is. My friend, this parable is not just an indictment against unbelieving Jews. It is an indictment to an unbelieving world, to an unbelieving humanity who prefers darkness over light, who prefers a lie over the truth because our hearts are evil. My friend, do you see how this makes us all worthy of eternal punishment? We are all worthy. Hell is not an overreaction of God. It is a just action against our sin of despising the Holy One, despising our Creator, our Lord, So the the Jews show us that. They they become an illustration of humanity's contempt against God. Let's go back to our parable in Matthew 22. So the first ones invited reject and despise the king. They reject his invitation. And so the king inflicts upon them a just punishment. But then, thankfully, that is not the end of the story. Verse 8, Matthew chapter 22, verse 8, then he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. So after the rejection of the king's invitation by the first group, the king orders his servants to go out and invite as many as they can find. Luke chapter 14, verse 23, also has the same parable. He says in in Luke's gospel, he says, go out to the highways and the hedges, compel people to come in. The invitation is going to be broad and general to both good and bad. Just as in the parable of the tenants, the repossessed vineyard is, represented, is rented I'm sorry, to other tenants, so now the invitation is directed to other guests. The unbelieving Jews have rejected the invitation of God to enter his kingdom through his son, Jesus Christ. So now, through their hardening, the gospel will be offered to the Gentile nations. And we see this point made clearly by Paul and Barnabas in Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13, verse 44. It says, The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord, to hear the invitation. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. And they began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. That echoes our parable, doesn't it? Reviling the servants sent to announce this invitation. Verse 46, And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly 
saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. So, this is exactly what is going on. This is what the parable is illustrating. The Jews have rejected God's purpose. They've rejected the gospel. And so now the gospel is being proclaimed to all the nations. The invitation is being extended to the highways and the hedges, to the bad and the good. So I want to look at three characteristics of the gospel call that we see in this parable. Three characteristics of the gospel call. The gospel call is an invitation from God to come to God. It is the king who invites these guests through his servants to come and join him at the wedding feast. It is God who invites those who hear the gospel through the preaching of his servants to come. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. 2 Corinthians 5.20 Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making His appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Right? Even though the king sent out his servants to, in, to proclaim this invitation, it still is coming from the king. It's the king who is inviting. He's inviting through the voice of his servants. God is inviting. We, uh, Paul says, we implore you. God making his appeal through us, through the preaching of weak men, preaching the gospel, through the voice of weak Christians, sharing the gospel with their neighbors, with their family, with a stranger on the street. God is appealing God is imploring and inviting through the voice of His people, His word in their mouth to come, for people to come to Him. God invites, the gospel call is an invitation from God to come to God. Secondly, the gospel call is an invitation to a fully furnished salvation. In the second invitation the king sends out in our parable, he says, everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. This wedding feast is not a potluck. The guests didn't need to make a dish. They didn't need to buy a gift. They didn't even need to go out and buy a new pair of clothes for the occasion. As we're going to see in the next part of the parable, even God would supply that. The king supplied even the clothes they could wear to this wedding feast. Even so, in the salvation provided by Christ and announced to us in the gospel, everything necessary for our salvation has been accomplished. Do you need the forgiveness of sins? Jesus has accomplished this by His death on the cross. Do you need a perfect righteousness so you can stand before a holy God? Jesus has provided this for us too with His sinless life of perfect obedience 
to God, even to the point of death? Do you need a prophet to tell you the will of God, a priest to represent you before God, a king to rule you and defend you against your enemies? Jesus is all of these things, fully and perfectly. My friend, everything is ready. Everything is prepared. Everything is accomplished. Come to Jesus Christ. The gospel call, as we see in this parable, is a general call. In verse 9 of the parable, the king instructs his servants to invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. All you come across. So they went out, we see in verse 10, and they invited all whom they found, both bad and good. The call of the gospel is a general call out to all who would hear, all who would believe, all who would come. The king didn't say to his servants, please only invite the rich and beautiful and good-looking people to my banquet. He didn't say, only invite people of a certain race or a certain age group. I don't want any old-looking people in my banquet. I want only young, good-looking people. No, he said, invite as many as you find. This invitation was a general and open invitation. And in the same way, the call of the gospel to repent and believe in Christ, the invitation to salvation is an open and general call for all who hear it. And we see this open call repeated in the scriptures over and over. A few examples, Isaiah 55, 1, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money, without price. John 7, 37. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Revelation twenty-two seventeen. The Spirit and the bride say, Come. Let the one who hears say, Come. And let the one who is thirsty Come, let the one who desires take the water of life without price. The gospel call is an open and general call for all who hear to come and be saved. Let's go to the next section of our parable here. Turn back to Matthew 22. Now, in, Mark, in uh, Luke's gospel, the um, parable ends right there. But in Matthew's gospel, he's got one more section. Just throw us for a loop. <clears throat> okay, so the, the servants have gone out everywhere, invited all they have found, both bad and good. The wedding hall is filled with guests. And now the king wants to come and visit his guests. So Matthew 22, verse 11. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. And the king said to the attendant, Bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping 
gnashing of teeth. So the king comes to visit his guests and he finds among them a man without a wedding garment who's promptly questioned and expelled from the feast. This last part of the parable can be the hardest to understand. To begin, we need to understand what is the significance of this wedding garment. In general, a wedding garment was a pair of nice clothes that you would wear to such an occasion as a wedding. Right? We might call it your Sunday best. But under the circumstances of this parable that Jesus is describing, that is, this royal wedding put on by a king, commentators think that it would have been a suit of clothes that was provided by the king himself to his invited guests as a token, first, of their invitation to come and join him, and secondly, as a sign of his generosity towards them. So it is not that the man failed to dress up nicely, put on a tie, and the king got angry because he wasn't wearing a suit. But the most probable explanation is that the man was an invited guest, but that he refused to put on the wedding garment that was provided for him, thus insulting the king and showing that he despised the king in his heart, but he still wanted the benefits of joining in the festivities and the good food that his servants listed would be there. So I think the point of this part of the parable seems to be that, in though the, although the invitation of the gospel into God's joyous kingdom is free and broad and genuine, it is a genuine invitation, Yet none will enter who do not sincerely love the king and his son. None will enter except those whose hearts have been changed and transformed to love the king and the son, God and his son, Jesus Christ. In this present world, as we saw in a previous parable, in this present world, the wheat and the tares, the wheat and the weeds, live side by side. That's part of this fallen world. Genuine Christians and hypocrites both occupy church pews. But in this eternal and perfect kingdom, false Christians, hypocrites, empty talkers, religious pretenders, they will be found out and plucked up from God's kingdom. Such people may be able to blend in now, maybe perhaps even occupying places of influence, enjoying the esteem of others around them, yet they cannot hide from him whose eyes are a flame of fire, the Lord Jesus Christ, the head of his church, who knows his own sheep by name. So what, what is this wedding garment? What is the distinguishing mark? What is the token of a true Christian. It is a genuine work of God on the soul. It is a new birth. It is a new creation which produces real fruit and real effects. As we've described before, the essence of man's sin is a dishonoring, a disdaining of God. That's what this man who refused to put on the wedding garments is displaying. 
You can't be in the kingdom and still hate God and still disdain Him and dishonor Him. What are, what are the fruits, what are the results of becoming a Christian, of coming to Christ, of being a new creation in Christ? Well, here are a few. A true repentance and an abhorrence of our sin. Right? Seeing for the first time what our sin really is. That it is a dishonoring, a disdaining of God. The next fruit is a true faith and a clinging to Jesus Christ as our only hope of salvation. A humble submission to God's Word. A love for God and His people. A striving after holiness and obedience to God. These are the fruits of faith. John Calvin in his commentary said, you know, people in his time said, well, is this garment, is this wedding garment the uh, faith or works? And he said, why are we trying to separate those two things? They're both. Genuine faith is followed by fruits, fruits of obedience, fruits of a new life. Now, let's come to the last verse here. So Jesus tells us at the end of this parable what his point is. Point of his parable, verse 14, he says, For many are called, but few are chosen. Many are called, but few are chosen. There's a few important terms in this verse, of course. The first one is the term called. The term called corresponds to the word call or invite, invited in verse 3, 4, and 9 in the parable. All of these terms come from a related Greek word, kaleo, which of course means to call, invite, or summon. So there's a relationship in the parable between the invitation to the wedding feast and the call of the gospel for sinners to believe and be saved. Many, many are called. Many receive this invitation. The second important term, of course, is the term chosen here. Um, this is the Greek word eklektos, which is translated in the New Testament as chosen or elect, right? If you looked up this Greek word, it would always either be translated as either one of these two words, chosen, elect, chosen or elect, which of course is the same thing. In Matthew 24, Jesus uses the same term to refer to the elect over and over again. So the term chosen here in our parable is referring to the elect of God, the group of sinners that God has chosen before the creation of the world to be the objects of his saving mercy through Jesus Christ. The elect are, the chosen are those who will, in fact, be saved. So let's see if we can repeat Jesus's, in, in another word, what is Jesus's point? Many hear the gospel's invitation to be saved, yet few will heed that invitation and actually be saved. Many will hear this invitation. This invitation is general. It's going out to all who hear. Many are invited unto salvation through the preaching of the gospel, yet few will heed that invitation and actually be saved. 
The parable is meant to be a warning, a wake-up call to those that enjoy the privileges of access to gospel truth. It is not merely gospel privileges. It is not just having gospel privileges, that is, access to the means of grace, having access to the scriptures, attending a gospel preaching church, being brought up in a Christian home. It's not just those things that ensure final salvation. Many who have had these privileges have perished from despising and neglecting these benefits, taking them for granted, not applying their hearts to understand, to embrace and apply them personally. The scriptures constantly exhort us to apply our heart, our mind, and our strength to these means of grace. Luke 13, 24, strive to enter through the narrow door. 2 Peter 1, 10, therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Here's one that's quite striking. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. So we have these admonitions, strive to enter. You have the privilege of hearing the gospel. You have the privilege of the scriptures in front of you. You have all of these graces, common graces coming to you. Well, strive to use those. Don't waste those things, but take a hold of them. Be diligent in hearing the word. Be diligent in applying it to your heart. Unite that gospel message with faith. Believe it. Embrace it personally. Apply it personally. So in closing, my friend, what about you? Have you realized that at the bottom of your sin is a dishonoring of a glorious and worthy God? You hear the invitation of the gospel to come and be reconciled to God. Have you been sitting a long time under this invitation, but yet failed to personally take hold of Jesus Christ by faith? I think especially of young people who've grown up in a Christian family or going to church, hearing countless Sunday school lessons and sermons. Have you embraced Jesus Christ personally? You're not saved by the certain number of Sunday school lessons you heard or the certain number of sermons you've heard. You're saved by personally embracing Jesus Christ by faith. Believing upon him, receiving, accepting that invitation and saying, yes, Lord, I want to come. Clothe me in Christ. Have you been a pretender of Christianity, but yet living a double life throughout the week? You can't hide it from God. You can't hide it from Christ. Come. To Christ, whatever your situation might be, here again through the scriptures, God is inviting you yet again 
to a fully outfitted, complete salvation furnished by the life and death and resurrection of his Son, Jesus Christ. Receive his invitation. Confess your sin of dishonoring and disdaining God. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. Put off your old life. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ as a gift freely given by God. Put him on by faith. Let's pray. Lord God, in this parable this evening, we see the severity and mercy of God. Severity to those who reject your offers of mercy. Severity to those who disdain and despise you in spite of such grace and mercy. But mercy, Lord, towards many, all that will come, all that will hear and believe. Lord, help us with these things, Lord God. Lord, you have given us so much light. You have given us scriptures in our own language. You have given us countless resources, solid biblical resources, so, so much God, a bounty. You have given us a bounty of grace. God, how little we appreciate it. How little we make use of it. Lord, forgive us for this, Lord. Please give us a desire. Lord, the only way we can go from God disdaining, invitation, rejecting sinners to God embracing and loving Christians is that you give us a new heart. I pray, Lord, you would do so to any who are in need of it right now, young or old, that they would embrace Christ by faith. In Jesus' name, amen.